Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me in full summer attire, only one button buttoned up on this polo, <laughs> my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, what's up? You staying cool over there? I, I am. I, I, I would tell you that that was a mistake, but you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I know it's not a mistake. Cameron, dude, I mean... I, it's really pleasant where I'm at today. I hope I hope it's good where yeah, you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but dude, uh, we've got kind of a previewish show. It's kind of a again very light news weeks uh, in the absence of competitive magic. But um, I've been hitting the ladder. I know you've been playing a lot of magic uh, as well. What you been up to this week, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing of note has been legacy. Uh, just a tried and true format that's still, despite all its issues, a great format. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, and I'm I'm still playing this. Like, um, I have Jeskai Guy Control, and what's great is that the meta seems to shift every once in a while, where you can swap out that main sixty quite a bit with like you know whatever their, your meta game is. I don't really know what meta game is, but I played the Monastery Mentor version. Um, so this is Monastery Mentor, the Wandering Emperor. It's a little bit more creature heavy, so it's almost kind of bordering on something like the Jes- uh, the um, like a Jeskai Stoneblade approach, as far as like mm-hmm. get your threat out there and then start just protecting it while countering everything that you possibly can. So uh, in theory, it's great. Um, it does. I, I like this one. I'm not running. You know any. Um, Rass in the main, which I think is probably problematic, especially because um, there is still blue-red, whatever you want to call it, Delver blue-red, which is just, I mean, the tempo game is just solved and just so incredibly good. Um, And it's not like it's like everywhere on my shop, but like, it, you know, there's like the three Delver players and they're always, you know, three of the top six <laughs> so yeah right yeah yeah um otherwise I, I guess i'm looking to see if they do delver of secrets now that uh ragavan's gone and it looks like they do yeah yeah and like i mean it's just it it's i mean you're guaranteed almost not guaranteed but i mean the chances of not playing a delver or a dragon rage on turn one i it, it just doesn't happen i mean you have eight cards to select from um and then Murktide Region is just a big baddie that, you know, comes online by turn three all the time. And here we are. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's totally fine because it, 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 it's totally beatable. And that's what I hate. It's a fast deck and it, it's a quick playing deck. Um, it's a beatable deck, but it's also like the best deck that you could possibly be pay- playing right now. Yeah, I would also say like, uh, and I, because I haven't been playing Legacy, I, I haven't put this together. But Dragon Rage tran- Channeler with Brainstorm, like, is yep. pretty gross. Um, I'm looking at some of these versions of it, and I, it's hard. It's hard for me to look at this and go, even with Ragavan gone, like, dude, these cards, like Murktide Region and stuff, like, they're just so good in this style of deck um, that it's it's really an oppressively good deck. Now, again, MTG Goldfish. Their metrics are skewed. There are some problems with it. But, like right now, I just pulled up the page. Is it is 26.3 of the metagame. Jeskai Control, 
another expressive iteration deck is in the second spot with eight percent right <laughs> yeah so the first like the first two decks and over 30 percent of the meta game are expressive iteration decks now the in the past watsi has really listened to the legacy community about what to ban and what not to ban i'm just curious about expressive iteration like do you think that's fine for legacy or is it a little bit much when it now. was first printed i thought great this is gonna be a fun card i might see it every once in a while and it's in everything i mean i'm playing four of every single blue red control player is playing four of um the jess guy play or like the Stoneblade player is playing a, i mean like it's the thing you have to be playing because i mean it's it, i mean with that in combination with brainstorm i mean you can just dig 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 to find your answers so, like, I don't even know what you're doing as, like, a Dark Depths player. I mean, you're just kind of sitting there waiting to get to a Dark Depths with a Dark Confidant, but it's, like, expressive iteration gets me three deeper, and, like, you're dead, you know, with my my three Delvers that I have online already. Yeah, expressive iteration, I think, is the card that's slowly become, even in standard, mm. like, it's a little bit much yeah. at times, because... Like, Grixis Vampires doesn't really play it anymore, but both, you know, the Jeskai Control, the Hinata decks, they are major, major, major players in this metagame, and you have to play them. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to play... I mean, the combination of uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Expre- Express Federation are a bit much. So, anyway, outside of that, I mean, I, I'm interested. So, this is, is this your first Legacy Tournament post-Ragavan? Uh, have you been... Did I play again? I I don't remember. Uh, definitely, I I mean I think this is the second time I've played Legacy post Ragavan and um, yeah, like I mean I would love to tell you that it's different, but I mean it's it's not. I mean it's still blue red Delver, you know minus Ragavans. Like I mean it's the exact same thing. So like if nothing really feels different as far as like oh this is the deck to beat now. It's still. It's still the Delvers guy, Delver guys. I, I still can't believe that Ragavan is legal and modern. How is <laughs> like, that I, possible? Like, I mean, <laughs> other than like because it was in Modern Horizons, and I, I like it was you paid a premium. I don't understand why because like it, it is so absurdly powerful, so broken. Like it was broken day one. And whatever, <laughs> modern's just yeah. unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I do want to just talk about my standard experience, like super quick, and talk about um, some other things I really want your opinion on. So um, standard has been really where my home's at right now. I've really enjoyed it. I've kind of just taken a break from explore. I think I alluded to this last week. It's a really nice thing to have in the background and know that I have the cards for. But it's like, I don't need to play against Yorian right now or whatever. Like, I just need to really dig into some of these new cards. Um, There is a version of Esper that is way, or I would say much more of a, what we would think of as a traditional control deck. Um, And I I got lured in, dude. I I thought, this is going to be me. This is going to be great. It is a ton of... Removal spells, wrath effects, <coughs> excuse me, and then, you know, you're playing some number of Planeswalkers. You do have a one of fun of Leer, and then 
four Reckoner Bangbusters. Four, Cameron. Okay. And shout out to the people that win with this deck. Because <laughs> I certainly did not. I found this deck to be, you know, knife to a gunfight kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Okay? Specifically against Grixis and Hinata. Like, there are so many decks that are good that this deck is bad against. I found it to be pretty good, to be fair, against Mono Green. Kind of medium against Esper Midrange. But if you look at the Grixis deck specifically, they have so many more efficient ways to draw cards. I remember, you know, this Grixis deck, this matchup I was playing against, I don't remember at what point we were in the game, but I did the whole look at the deck, and they had drawn something like nine more cards than me. Yeah. A Grixis Vampires deck versus a Drago Control deck. They drew nine more cards than me over the course of a game. Right? And you just can't... And that's why Grixis has like these, you know, one duress or whatever... Because they just dig and dig and dig. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the possibility to put pressure, which again, Esper Control, not great with pressure. A lot of times a resolved Planeswalker against you is a massive problem. Um, I mean, yes, you have things like Blood Chief's Thirst, which is still standard legal and I had totally <laughs> forgotten about. Um, I mean, there's different things like that, but both Farewell and Meat Hook Massacre, kind of your get-out-of-jail-free cards, don't do what you need them to do. And often, you're playing Meat Hook Massacre to offset the other guy's Meat Hook Massacre because once they realize you're playing control, they just play it for zero. So that way, you deal damage, or they deal you damage every time you kill one of their guys, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of a farewell. So I don't want you to get suckered in by this deck, Cameron. (laughs) You'll say, ooh, control. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I just ask, uh, with like Grixis Vampires, Blood Tithe Harvester, is that the card that's really driving like that card on his face i always felt like it was like yeah it's whatever but like what you're talking about like just the ability to loot with a three two body associate i mean like you know i guess there's some people that use the minus x minus x ability i mean that's like a you know that can help in some instance but really just creating blood tokens like that on top of a three two body just seems absurdly good and like i mean you're seeing it in both historic and standard and i'm just i think that might be like the the card for like you know an uncommon great card from the last set well and like with grixis specifically like just go through their creatures every single one of them is a minimum two for one Mm -hmm. like they either create a material like blood tithe harvester bloodthirsty adversary can just give you these vicious turns and like I said, you have all these like, you know, one ofs, like one disdainful stroke, one duress. Sometimes you'll see a one of expressive iteration, like because they just dig so much. Mm-hmm. But like the heart of this deck, the thing that makes it way too, well, I shouldn't say too good, but like really top of the top of the two standard decks, because I think it's this and Hanada mm-hmm. or whatever flavor of Jeskai is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That card is a super nasty standard card. It's like in that weird space where it's like really too good for standard, but probably not good enough for modern. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, we're Snapcaster mages <laughs> these days. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like in this weird kind of middle ground. 
um, that, you know, but things like, you know, when they copy a corpse appraiser or like on and on and on. There's all these like little interactions that are, allow them to kind of grind you out. I don't really care for the deck. Um, I do have most of it. So it wouldn't be a horrible thing for me to build and just play test and come about mm-hmm. and like talk about some week. Um, but as for midrange is kind of still my jam. And I, I really like kind of the ins and outs of that deck, the what have yous, um, because there's things like, you know, okay, do I play two Vanishing Verse? Well, as soon as Grixis or Jeskai are the be- best decks, Vanishing Verse gets a lot worse. Like, you know, hitting a Fable of the Mirror Breaker is sometimes what you got to do, but it's not great. Um, and then, like, you can play a Spell Pierce. So you can, like, there's there's some very strong similarities with Grixis in that you can really kind of tinker with the deck to get it in specific spots. The difference is is the bad draws of Esper midrange are horrendous. <laughs> like, so bad whenever you don't... Like, you know, whenever you draw a Disdainful Stroke against the Boros deck or whatever, like, those individual cards count for so much, and if you just, quote, miss on a draw, it's really brutal. That being said, I love the sequencing of the standard. I'm not very good at this standard. I'm probably, like, at a 50% win rate. I have a lot to learn with it, but I do I do find it to be a ton of fun. Um, and, like, we're in this stage where things like, People will not attack you when they know you have um, they four man out because of Wandering Empire, mm-hmm. you know, or, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Like it's just like now you're kind of deep down that well. All right, so uh, I want your opinion on something, Cameron. So before we get into any of your final thoughts about Double Masters, which I know you probably tons. have, yeah, tons. I was at so my son had a kind of a Pokemon training camp thing today which was great and um it was just him being shown by an employee how to like play pokemon i'm like a total square and i don't really know it and instead of watching a youtube video i thought it would be cool to take him to a shop buy a starter you know yeah that kind of thing so he's really into pokemon so i was like walking around the shop and this is a shop i traditionally have played at for many years i hadn't played there for about a year or two and i said hey you know, I'm thinking about buying into some modern cards, like, i.e., finally just pulling the trigger on Ragavans. And I was like, uh, do you guys have pretty good attendance on uh, modern nights? And he goes, we're still trying to rebuild our player base. Oh, that's never good. And this is a shop that used to have 20 people on a Saturday night modern, no problem, yeah. right? So here's my question to you. Nearby me... There are no standard FNMs, like zero. The nearest modern thing for me is about 45 minutes away. Or there's a shop closer to me that does Pioneer on Saturdays. All these shops that we're talking about have Commander. Two of the three have Flesh and Blood. What the heck do I do? Do I sell modern cards to get a Pioneer deck that I want? Probably. You're going to honestly probably have a better time playing Pioneer than you will playing Modern and getting all the chase ultra rares. And I don't know, dude. It's where I'm at. My big concern is, let's say I do what we're discussing, right? Mm -hmm. And I decide to invest in Pioneer versus Modern. And like, I, I, I don't feel like having both. Like, I feel it's kind of like an either-or because Watsy has not built a lot of um, 
trust from my perspective on m- owning multiple non-rotating decks. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather I'd rather buy a nice watch, honestly, uh-huh. at this stage. Um, and I'm worried that the big level regional events are going to be modern. But then you get into this like, do I want to play a regional event if it's a modern <laughs> like? So I'm just struggling in a lot of ways with what to do. I'm curious, is Pioneer still doing well at your shop? Uh, not as well as modern. Um, but I, I, I would say maybe 10 fewer in attendance for like a pioneer tournament versus like a, you know, 30 person modern tournament. So, I mean, like, you know, it's still there. I, I don't know. Like I, but I think the, the issue is, is that there just hasn't been those large tournaments for pioneer, you know? And I think a lot of people are still maybe just waiting for like, what is Explorer going to, when is Explorer going to kind of fully meet up and maybe then people get more into it. It will outweigh modern, but not happening anytime soon. It doesn't look like. Dude. And can we just wade a little bit into the, I told you so waters where we're like, Hey man, not having these big events, it's really going to affect interest in magic. Yep. And we were constantly magic can't be killed. Stop being so, uh, you know, dramatic, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, look at standard now. Look at it, man. And it's the best standard has been, in my opinion, in years, Mm -hmm. like years. And no shop near me seems to be doing it. I don't know if your shop is doing standard at all, um, but, like, it's astonishing. We're talking about places that were, I mean, magic first and the idea of even having a pokemon tournament at these places would have been crazy mm-hmm. five years ago and this isn't me poo-pooing pokemon i'm just saying anecdotally they've lost a lot of market share <laughs> yeah and you can see it when you walk into these card shops and when i asked this guy and he also said to me they have more people showing up for flesh and blood now than they have two nights of flesh and blood dang so that's and, and honestly, I really do like Flesh and Blood. I think it's a cool game. It's just not having a digital client really affects my ability to engage with that game. Mm-hmm. I totally respect their re- reasoning for doing that, but it's just that makes it Tough. hard for a working yeah. stiff like me. Um, but yeah, dude, I I just don't know what to do. But like Shocklands are like no pun intended here, shockingly expensive. So I could liquidate some quantity of Shocklands mm-hmm. and then end up with a you know, a Yorian Pioneer deck to play with or something. So we're headed quickly in that direction. Yeah. I might get two decent Pioneer decks for prices some of these modern decks now. <laughs> I, I mean, I have Phoenix, but I'm pretty convinced it's terrible. It's, yeah. You might so, have a good time like, with it. You might win a few games, but it's it's not good. <laughs> and, and an alarming amount of the blue-white deck I do not have. Mm. Um, like, a lot of those cards got printed in the last two or three sets, Wandering Emperor being one of them. Yep. So uh, there's a lot that I would have to grab. So, hey, Cameron, Double Masters. Mm. We mentioned it last week. More cards have been revealed. I would say none of them are that, uh, you know, notable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, where you at on this set, man? Are you going to actually play in this pre-release, or are you just full no, on passing? I'm full on passing. It's just not. I, I I will have a better time playing Pioneer that night or something like that than I will investing more money and in getting 
a fine deck. I'm sure it's a it's a fun set to draft. I'm sure it is. Um, I'm just I don't know. There's so many other options for me that like I just know I can have a cheaper time and a better time playing something I'm more comfortable with. Yeah, you know what's interesting about this too is like. I don't know the actual price of any of the events. Mm. This is going to be in like two weeks. And at least to my knowledge, none of the stores have actually posted mm -hmm. um, what they're going to charge for this sealed event. But I mean, these could be $60, $70 sealed events. It's like, uh, again, kind of an unreasonable amount of money. Um, and so this is where I'm like really struggling is like, and again, this is me being a little bit of an old head, but like when I see Hydroid Crisis in this, I'm like, is that something that we really desperately needed to reprint? <laughs> you couldn't have reprinted, uh, we talked about Ragavan or any of these other like really necessary Modern Horizons cards, but Hydroid Crisis? Mm -hmm. So the recency thing doesn't matter. Nope. <laughs> and I would also argue that Hydroid Crisis is a horrible limited card like or i should say horrible to play against it's a card you want mm -hmm. um but that's also the problem is like there's a bunch of stuff that feels really recent but not necessary yeah yeah and that kind of i need to go back to like modern masters one and like look at like what were they doing printing <laughs> <laughs> insert like whatever right I, I'm curious if it's always been like this but it, I, to your point it just seems exceptionally like Alicia who smiles at death like cool I, I mean maybe it is commander and there's like a huge driving force for that but like just not seeing it man yeah and I mean hey look God knows commander players have helped me out over the years with Cards that I had no idea were worth any money <laughs> that were the last pat pick of a draft however many nights in a row, and then suddenly I look, and oh, look, it's a $15 commander card. Off to the races we go, right? They've really helped me out, and maybe this is the case with this. And I, I mean, look, I know we're going to get hit with some this isn't for you, blah, 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 but it is kind of like uh, sticking in my craw that we're not getting a summer standard set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that we're getting this. I am ready to buy. I'm ready to go enjoy our pre-release. And so I'll probably go do this anyway. But I don't even know what this would cost me. Whereas like Cameron uh, Starfield. Right. Is going to be a game that might come out within the next year. Might. Yep. You know that's going to cost you $60. Right now as we're sitting here. Right. Yep. Like this is the thing that Watsy doesn't seem to understand is like. It's okay to have a fixed price. It's okay to have fixed events. It's okay to have a fixed tournament structure. Stop tinkering with these things. You've left a lot of people confused and uninterested, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, there's our dose of negativity. I'm sure people are going to get double masters. They're going to enjoy double masters. They're going to open double masters, and they're going to you know, get the wild – the not the wild cards. Wow. They're going to get the cards of their dreams. <laughs> um but it's just hard to like look at this card list and go, okay, I guess I'm going to play this. And like something like Divining Top, that's a banned in Legacy. It's banned in Modern. Yeah. And you're putting that in here? Also, it's been upshifted. That was an uncommon, Cameron. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now it's a rare in this set. So 
Cool, cool, cool. Uh, last thing I'll mention, the final kind of like real salt on the wound is you're going to print City of Brass but not Mana Confluence? Going to do that? Really? <laughs> real nice, guys. <laughs> cool. Real, real kind of you. Okay, Cameron, we got some extra things to talk about. Let's get out of this segment, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron. So, Trek Fest is the thing that you attended. Yeah, Question I actually, mark? I, I, I did. I'm doing like a little short documentary, like the feature is what we call them, on Trek Fest, which happens in Riverside, Iowa. So, Curtis, I don't know if you know this, but the birthplace, the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk, is Riverside, Iowa. So apparently Gene Roddenberry wrote in some screen, like a throwaway line, Captain Kirk born in a small town in Iowa. This town adopted it officially. Paramount recognizes it. And so every year they have like a little Star Trek convention uh, in Riverside, Iowa. And I mean, they have people from like, I mean, everywhere, like California and New York. There are people from London, England, uh, people who really share in this love of Star Trek. I, too, share, as you know, uh, in this love of mm-hmm. Star Trek. And it was great. I mean, they had, like, um, some of the Klingons from, like, the TV series, like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, so, like, General Martok and Supreme Chancellor Gowan. I don't know the actors' names, but they were there dressed up in full Klingon gear. Uh, and, you know, I mean, they had floats, uh, just costume contests. It was just... Uh, incredibly nerdy and celebrating and just a shared celebration of, um, you know, a positive outlook in the future or toward the future. So it's just super also weird just seeing a confluence of rural, kind of like a smaller town. Um, You know, there's not a lot of money uh, in a lot of these rural communities. Seeing that with like Star Trek nerds from all over the country meeting up for a parade, uh, you don't. I mean, only in Iowa can you see something that is just so strange and surreal. So I got to be honest with you, Cameron. Parades are a thing I don't understand. I agree. <laughs> I, I think that I. I, I think there's that. a thing with me, like yeah. Every time I've ever watched a parade, I've actually like I don't understand that people when people tell me baseball is boring. It's like, but you've watched you watch. a parade. <laughs> it's a fire truck um, driving by. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, one time, and this is not that long ago, this is a few years ago, I did watch a parade where they had a candy cannon. <laughs> they shot candy into the sky and then it like rained down on people and it looked kind of painful. So <laughs> only in small town hurt. Missouri. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but dude, I'm glad that you got some positivity. So what year are we talking is Captain Kirk supposed to be born? Like, I don't even know when Star uh, Trek would it be like place. 2230 something, you know, so we got some time. Um, yeah. Seems like we're kind of behind the curve already. <laughs> Just put that out there. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we never had the uh, the con nineteen ninety six uh, whatever genetic wars, eugenic wars. <laughs> so we're already okay. behind. Yeah. So, dude, wow, that's that's uh, upsetting uh, on a lot of levels. But uh, so also, I've heard not just from you but other people that the new Star Trek series is good. Yeah, uh, is that true? I, comparing it to <laughs> the train wreck of Picard and Discovery, uh, 
I keep on telling people Strange New Worlds, which is kind of like the Captain Pike era, like so right before Kirk. Um, so it retreads on a lot of things, which that's just the nature of all classic media. Now you have to retread on. <laughs> or oh, of course. Remind everybody, right? Uh, Don't but, say that about Top Gun, though, Cameron. Not mm, a retread. No, never. Totally amazing. Yeah, totally original. How dare you? How dare you? But it's uh, surprisingly good. It feels like um, like an, a, a, a medium episode of season three of Next Generation, which is honestly the best Star Trek you could possibly be watching in 2022. Um, so I've been enjoying it. Like the characters are good and it's a, maybe a little too light in some ways, but um, it, it's just, yeah, it's a breath of fresh air from the drudgery that was Picard. Man. Uh, my brother-in-law's fiance also talks about Picard as some kind of like illness. Um, <laughs> it's bad, not just bad yeah. Star Trek, bad TV. Ooh, ouch. Um, so I just, I, I do want to ask you about Rogue Legacy Two as well. I see that on your list. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've played the first one though. I did not finish it. Mm -hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, Dead Cells kind of came along and took Rogue Legacy's lunch money. Yeah. So is Rogue Legacy 2 a big step up, or what is it like? So um, I really did enjoy Rogue Legacy, and I played the heck out of that on the PS Vita. Uh, it, be, it was mm -hmm. kind of like Spelunky. It, it, like, it just lent itself so perfectly to that. I made the mistake and purchased Rogue Legacy 2 on the PC, and not having that mobile option and just kind of like going through a run very, very easily right before I go to bed. I Time out, Cameron. Time out, time yeah. out, time out. The whole audience knows what you're doing here. You don't have to justify <laughs> a Steam Deck to me. I know you're going to play this Boom. clip and <laughs> to your wife and you're going to be like, see, I need a Steam Deck. I bought this game. I'm yeah. not getting being going to be able to play that and my whole Steam library <laughs> without a Steam. Just buy the Steam Deck, Cameron. We all see what's happening yeah. here. I like Come that you, you're thinking of the solution. That's <laughs> um, Rogue Legacy 2, it is a, an improvement in a lot of ways from the first Rogue Legacy. Uh, just graphically, like this one has like... Um, actual like drawn backgrounds that look really really good on top of like real tightly animated little sprites that um it, it's like a step up where like rogue legacy felt kind of like a super nintendo era sort of graphics i mean it it wasn't like shovel knight but it definitely was like not rendered in as fine of detail and this just looks so good especially on a big screen it really really looks good um, but it's, it's the same thing. It's the same sort of thing where you inherit like, you know, genetic, the, the ge uh, genetics from your predecessor and that affects how the game plays. So like you will be colorblind and all of a sudden the game is in black and white for one run, or you'll have nearsighted where like you, you swing half the time over, you overswing or you overshoot on things, you know, like those sorts of things that make it really kind of fun and charming and, um, makes like those levels, feel fresh even though it, it's a roguelike right so um anyway like i got this it was on sale on steam and for like 20 bucks i'm gonna get my money's worth out of it like it is just oh, a very sure. enjoyable game so 
Um, I, 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 I like it. it. It is just more of the same, though. Like, really, at the end of the day, it's more of the same. Cool, dude. Um, hmm. I guess I'll try it eventually. Uh, maybe when it's on Game Pass. Sure. I still haven't gotten to Tunic, which is kind of the indie darling this year. I'm, I'm way behind, and it doesn't help that I'm deciding to replay Dragon's Dogma, <laughs> which is like an 80-hour RPG from 10 years ago that I've decided is my new project. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow, that game is insane, by the way, Cameron. I don't know if you remember that about Dragon's Dogma, but in different ways, it's got the Dark Souls charm of like being so indifferent about your experience yeah. that it makes it feel like you're actually, you know... Uh, like engaging with the real world thing because it's so uneven and bizarre. I don't even know how to explain it besides like there are moments where you can be like in the middle of a mission and the difficulty curve isn't even <laughs> like you'll beat all these guys. No problem. Then the middle group of bandits in a mission are way overpowered and kill you. Mm. But I ran past those guys the second time and then beat the boss for the mission. No problem. Right. And it's just like, that makes actual no sense <laughs> in the context of a video game. Mm-hmm. But cool. Um, the other thing I would say is like, it's, it's unforgiving. And uh, I think I mentioned this in, in the way it makes you travel. Um, there's basically no fast travel. You get these things that allow you to teleport back to the main city. But yeah, you can use them up and they're like one use and that's it. <laughs> And so you're like, okay, I'm almost dead. I'm going to fast travel out. You fast travel out. And then they're like, oh, yeah, guess no more fast traveling. Use your fast travel stone. <laughs> Hope you find another one someday. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome in that way. And that, like, you can legitimately be on a quest, stumble upon a dragon that is not a scripted thing, and it can kill you out of clean nowhere and set your progress back a lot. And because of that being the case... It makes it feel more dangerous, more interesting, right? And that you have this party of like computerized guys that are with you too. Whereas Elden Ring, which by the way, it's kind of shocking when you go back to this, how much of Elden Ring is in this game Mm. uh, of the open world stuff. Um, But Elden Ring by design is such a solitary experience. And to have these NPCs in the world be A, in your party and B, like, when you're in cities being interacting with you and talking about these like heroic things that you're doing and stuff, it makes the world feel weirdly more alive, even though it's a 10 year old game and everything looks terrible. Right. Yeah. But there's also like these moments of like action game weirdness. Like I ended up with the ability to double jump. And so I, in this city of this role playing game, that's like Skyrim, (laughs) I was double jumping around all the roofs And getting to these treasure chests, there was no quest, no indication that this should or shouldn't be done, none of it. And it's just like, hey, here you go. You're doing this now. And so there's just something really special. I was really glad to see that the sequel has been announced. Um, We'll see if it ever comes out because games (laughs) these days seem to be announced. And then, you know, uh, like the sequel to Skyrim has been announced, what, for two years? And we're probably not going to get that this decade. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, big thumbs up to Dragon's Dogma. So, Cameron, last thing I want to leave you with, did you finish Obi-Wan? Did. And I was left just really happy with how it all ended and wrapped up. And, I mean, nothing was, like, surprising or revelatory, but, like, dude, talk about, um, 
really uh, forgiving the past sins of episode three, <laughs> like somehow just completely redeemed itself as far as like, oh, that's right. You're supposed to like characters, even if they're bad or evil, you can like those characters or just, you know, empathize with like that journey a little bit more. And uh, yeah, enjoyed it. I, again, super highs and lows. And the, the horrible secret is, the Bad Batch is easily the best Star Wars show <laughs> that's been produced on Disney Plus, and there's too many guys like us that don't want to watch, you know, only want to watch the live action Star mm-hmm. Wars stuff, right? Um, there was just like I would say there's some huge problems with Obi Wan in general, uh, but I walked away from feeling overall very positive. There were some visuals, some just like visual moments in this the particular last fight sequence that I loved and really kind of got in touch with 10-year-old Curtis, Mm, right? If mm -hmm. you were to show me a still frame of like, hey, dude, here's Obi-Wan versus Vader, you're going to see whenever you're, you know, uh, an adult and it's going to be on TV, I'd be like, where do I sign up for this? Please and thank you, right? And so I do think the delivery of like Anakin and um, Obi-Wan's relationship was better expressed in this than in episode three. Um, And so that to me was like the real strength. So, I really liked it. I like I liked that Ewan McGregor got another shot at this character. Yeah. So Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Like I would say like a seven out of ten, seven point five out of ten, yeah. which is like yeah. and my world is exceptional. <laughs> right. Uh all right, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you in and talk to you about the ins and outs of Obi Wan, where could they find you? It's all on Twitter at Cameron underscore McCoy. I should have said something about Trekfest there. Man, I missed an opportunity. Missed. Open goal. Uh, and I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>